Hello, everybody, and welcome to the third episode of the Time Filler Podcast. My name is Phil Emmerich. Uh, I'm your host, as always. Uh, today is International Podcast Day, and so I felt it only necessary to sit down and record another episode today of the Time Filler. Um, the podcast, as a reminder, can be heard either on the Anchor app or on Spotify. On the Anchor app, you'll find 30-second musical interludes between segments, which I find to be rather fun to kind of throw in there, but if you don't want to hear what I'm listening to today, you can stream it on Spotify. Uh, we also have a Twitter handle, at Time Filler. Um, you can find updates on when the podcast episodes drop if you follow us on there. And I would like to give a little bit of an update to the timeline over the next few weeks. I will be getting married this weekend, and so being that I'm going to be in Bahamas with my soon-to-be wife, Bailey Hayes. I will not be recording a podcast next week, so you can look for us then the following week um, to recap what has happened in Wisconsin sports. Today's guests, as always, I will be joined by Nate the Great Verhagen and a new guest for Time Filler today, Patrick Grubish. Uh, he helped me with a little bit of the restructuring of the show, trying to put a little more oomph into what we have in terms of um, how everything flows, making sure that you guys have a little bit more of an enjoyable listening experience. And so um, off of that segue after what um, we kind of talked about last week, we I wanted to give a teaser of today's show. I'm going to start today with a Packers recap of the weekend. I've got a few things that I want to touch on from Thursday's loss to the Eagles. I will then be hopefully joined by Patrick for a general NFL update. Patrick is a a relocated Vikings fan who now lives um, in the outskirts of Philadelphia and so kind of like to get his thoughts on the Vikings loss to the Bears as well as some other general NFL news and then after that I will be joined by Nate the Great to go over the Badgers recent win over Northwestern and to touch on the Brewers as they head into the NL playoffs um, so I hope that you enjoy today's episode and thanks again for listening so like I said, I wanted to touch a little bit on the Packers Thursday night loss to the Philadelphia Eagles. I know it's a, been a few days and we haven't really had it at the forefront. I'm sure everyone was focused more on the Badger game on Saturday and their fantasy teams throughout Sunday, but I think it's worth chatting about for a little bit. So I just want to touch on a few things. So um, just a recap, Packers lost 34 to 27 to the Eagles on a last second interception thrown by Aaron Rodgers in the end zone. You can argue whether or not that should be on Aaron Rodgers, being that it bounced off the chest of Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Rodgers did go pretty nuts that day, throwing for 411 yards, many of which went to Devontae Adams, who left the game early with what was diagnosed as turf toe. And it really felt like Devontae could have caught for maybe 400 yards by himself that day, being that the Eagles were really thin in the secondary and Devontae and Rodgers were really on the same page. We also got a little bit of a different look at the Packers' defense. Now, if you look at the first three opponents the Packers played this season with the Bears, Vikings, and the Broncos, you could argue that their offensive line in total is probably lackluster to say the best. I mean, you looked at how the Vikings got dismantled by the Bears this last weekend, and the Broncos have yet to mount a win over anyone, and the Bears aren't exactly lighting up the scoreboard themselves. And so the Eagles were probably the best offense the Packers had faced thus far. And while the defense did have its struggles, particularly in defending the run, I felt like they still made enough plays to give the offense a chance. Now it's difficult when you don't get a turnover and the offense turns the ball over twice, 
but I don't think we can write off that defensive performance as reverting back to the old Packers, as people have been saying. I think people forget the Eagles won the Super Bowl just about 18 months ago. Um, they still have a really great offensive line and a solid quarterback in Carson Wentz, and they were not short of too many wide receiving weapons other than Deshaun Jackson, who you can argue really does change the dynamic of the offense, but they still had enough weapons that they've been putting up points so far this year. And I would also like to say that the Eagles would probably be favored against most of the opponents the Packers have beat so far. So I don't think we saw a dramatic regression out of this team, but rather just a more quality opponent and somebody that LaFleur hasn't yet had to game plan against. And so just everything needs to be taken with a grain of salt. Um, Packers fans, and really any NFL fan, we love to right away write off a team as you know, going back to the old ways or same old thing, same old whatever. I don't think that we can do that with this team. There's brand new leadership with a lot of different players from the years past. And while losing doesn't feel good, and it brings up a lot of memories of games where Rodgers would lose 41 to 39 and still throw for 400 yards, I don't think this has become the new theme. I also want to point out this was the first game where the Packers were truly tested by injuries. I think I mentioned last week when we were all high and mighty off of a 3-0 start that the most notable losses that we had through that point of the year was Equinemius St. Brown, Oren Burks. I mean, these are guys that don't exactly make or break a roster. And by the end of Thursday night's game, we were without our starting right tackle, our number two and arguably 1B running back in Jamal Williams, Devontae Adams, who had been lighting up the Eagles through the first half, missed the remainder of the game. And so you're really talking about an entirely different dynamic when you're overcoming that type of adversity. And truthfully, any team that loses that much firepower is going to have a tough time mounting a comeback against a really good squad, regardless of if the game is at home or not. But this was also the first time that LaFleur had to deal with such a dramatic shift in his game plan. And we can only hope that he learned from it and that he's going to push this team forward into where it needs to go. And realistically, this is what is going to tell the story of this year's Packers team. I don't think I have to remind anybody about the 2010 Super Bowl run when so many players were left on IR that it was really a brand new team at the end than it was at the beginning. And it was arguably McCarthy's best coaching job to be able to navigate those injuries. That's going to happen in today's NFL. And so this is really Lafleur's first test to be able to see exactly how he handles that. And so let's just stay the course. We're 3-1, and one, still at the top of the North. The Bears were the only other team to have a win this weekend, and we'll touch a little bit more on some, few, some other NFL news in the next segment. But let's just don't write off this team just yet because we didn't feel good coming off of a Thursday night loss to arguably a top-five team in the Philadelphia Eagles. So we're back here on the Time Filler Podcast. I am joined by Patrick Grubish. Patrick is a relocated Vikings fan, um, originally from Minnesota, now living in the greater Philadelphia area. Um, I'm just going to let him introduce himself a little bit and say whatever it is he'd like to say to get us going. You pretty much covered it. <laughs> Great. I love to be thorough. <laughs> so uh, I wanted to bring Patrick on as a Vikings fan to kind of get his opinion on last week's game against the Bears. This was a 16-6 win 
before Chicago at Soldier Field. And it was one of those games that was a snooze fest if you like great offenses. (laughs) Um, The most exciting part of the game was probably watching Chase Daniels, A, still being in the league, and B, able to mount a good enough offensive attack to take down the Vikings. Um, Patrick, what would you say as a Vikings fan watching Chase Daniels march well enough up and down the field against your defense to get the win? Uh, wish we would have played a little more man, a little less zone. Um, it was a very, and this is, I know, a stretch, a very Tom Brady-esque dink and dump passing attack. Um, yeah. Also, tackling just wasn't very good. Um, just I mean, not a not a great performance by the defense. Not a not a horrible performance by the defense. I mean, it he he looked really good, and then you take a step back, and it was a they scored 16 points. It wasn't necessarily a an offensive throwdown by him. It just they were long, sustained, effective, draining drives. Oh yeah, and I would say if your defense only lets up 16 points in the NFL, and you have a quarterback making is it 27 million and a couple of very well-paid wide receivers, you hope to win most of those games, wouldn't you? Yep. (laughs) Um, And so on the flip side with the Vikings offensive attack, if you want to call it that against what looks to be another historic bears defense, I would say as a Packers fan, I certainly enjoyed Kirk cousins struggling to figure out which way to throw the ball but I would guess you have a very different opinion on that. That would be, that would be correct. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting. You talk a lot about football games overall as a, as a you know, key moments. Uh, the first drive that the Bears took the opening kickoff, it was the first or the second play that there was a fumble recovery by the Vikings that was ruled an incomplete pass, or there was a penalty. No, there was a holding penalty downfield on, our, on safety Anthony Harris that we would have had the ball like first and goal 10 seconds into the game. Um, And you look at that, you look at our first drive. So then we still hold them to a three and out, if I'm not mistaken, or at least a punting situation on that first series. And Cousins overshoots Thielen by a yard and a half on a deep ball would have been, you know, 60 plus yard touchdown. So within 90 seconds of kickoff, we had two opportunities to, score more than we scored in the rest of the game. <laughs> um, yeah. And what, what I thought was really interesting is that Dalvin Cook, with my eyes, looked like he was having a good game until I saw the actual stat line, and he was like 11 carries for 34 yards or something like that. Well, and that, and that comes back to, I think, the play calling. I love Mike Zimmer as a head coach. He's an old-school, tough-nosed yeah. defensive football coach, which is why our defense is pretty – solid and well respected around the league Mm. the problem is is there I don't know if he's calling plays on offense if he's influencing the play call on offense but first down a draw play up the middle second down is a slant or a screen that gets you three yards and then third down is you know another draw play up the middle and you just go it's the Bears front seven let's do something else let's do something effective Right. I, Diggs, Diggs had two catches pretty early on for like 17 yards, but mm-hmm. Thielen didn't touch the ball, I think, until right before halftime 
or it might even have been second half. It was uh, second talked, half because I remember watching your uh, fantasy team, and he was just putting up a goose egg, I think, until the fourth quarter. Yeah, and, and you talk about Cousins getting paid that kind of money. You know, there's two ways to look at it. One, I don't think this is a, a hot take or anything crazy. He's not worth $28 million. I, I think that's, that's very much a just the economics of we were potentially or, you know, a very strong feeling that we were – on the cusp of being a playoff team or a, you know, deep playoff team. And he was the best available. Is that what you need to push you over the edge? You pay what you, what you need to, to do that. Um, and then on the, on the flip side, you know, if you're just going to hand it off 65 times a game, right. You know, you can, I'll, I'll go do that. I'll do it for 2 million and then you can spend it on the offensive line or, you know, some other more, you know, needed areas. Yeah. You know, it, it, like you mentioned with the with with his contract and with you know Thielen and Diggs, that's if I you know memory serves, that's fifty-ish million dollars not really being used more than fifteen plays. Um, and that's just not obviously not worth it, especially yeah. when you're especially when you're telegraphing. And I'll go back to the the play calling. Diggs isn't even on the field for half the plays because we go to a double tight end set. We put Thielen out wide, and it's you know, you're saying, hey, we're going to run it up the middle right now. Let's see if we can do it better than you. And you can't because it's the Bears front seven. Yeah. Nobody's running on them with any success for most of the year, I would guess. Exactly. Especially, I mean, and this is this is not an excuse, but it was a, a very typical cold, shitty day at Soldier Field with the, the grass was flying. People would get tackled. They'd come up with, you know, a new, new lawn and their face mask. It was just yep. – uh, yep. You know, that's just – it doesn't take a, a football genius IQ to go, hey, something else maybe? <laughs> yeah. And so I we, we texted a little bit about this last night, but you you watch Teddy Bridgewater, you know, get a win for the Saints against the Cowboys, and it's got to be hard to see that as a Vikings fan and think that you could have him for probably half the cost of what you're spending on Kirk Cousins, and you might actually be getting more – production out of Bridgewater than you've gotten so far out of Cousins. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, you can never say for sure one way or another, but I've, I've been a supporter of Teddy since we let him go after the injury. I mean, we stuck through him or stuck with him through that brought in, you know, Bradford and Keenum and just, you know, have struggled. And, and it's not like we were paying those guys a ton of money either where we were tied up like we are with Kurt now. I mean, now that's kind of that point of no return, but uh, you know, I always think of that that first contract he signed with the Saints after leaving after leaving us. What was it, three years for fourteen million or something? And you just go, yeah. imagine what you could do for an offensive line or just for the longevity of a team. You know, just from a timing standpoint, the Vikings have been very fortunate with our GM locking down a lot of our key players prior to getting Cousins. But you know, you get off a couple of years and a team could you could lose out on a number of stars just by the timing of those kind of silly contracts. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the Saints Cowboys game because I think that it was a really good litmus test for really the health of the NFC. I think those are two of the top teams, you know, whether or not Drew Brees being out is gonna hurt the Saints is yet to be determined. Well, um, I mean Drew Brees, so yes, but well, but what I, think is, what I think is interesting is that this is almost like Sean Payton's Matt Castle moment, how 
Bill Belichick was able to go 10 and six when Tom Brady popped his knee in was it 2008. Um, I think that, you know, with Breeze, I think somebody said he was going to be out for another five or so weeks. If he's able to go four and two with Teddy Bridgewater, I would have to say that that actually makes the Saints even scarier than if Breeze was there and they went five and one. I mean, that's just my own opinion. All right. No, yeah, it's, it's, it's by no means trying to diminish the point other than the fact that no one would take Teddy Bridgewater over Drew Breeze. It's, no. I'm not saying they're a horrible team with Teddy Bridgewater. It's just you'd, take, you'd, you'd want Drew Breeze starting for you if you could. Oh, yeah. But I think um, it does a good job of showing the overall health of the Saints. I think a lot of people get caught up in how much Drew Breeze does elevate them, and of course he does. But this is probably still a 10-6 and six team, even if they had to go with Teddy Bridgewater the whole way through. Right. Well, I mean, and it's, they're, they're a very weird team overall because they've had a couple of interesting down years where they've gotten some decent draft picks and then just overall they've drafted really well especially obviously you can look at like Kamara and uh you know like Lattimore on defense I mean they just they're really well timed and again I'll go back to the contract situation you draft well you can get some pretty high elevated talent for low money for a while I mean it's uh, it's kind of the the big uh theme around the NFL now is timing of when you're paying people and when you're not paying people yeah it's amazing how much a good draft will elevate you for three to five years just because of what you're able to then do with your salary cap exactly especially in in key positions you know like uh like the saints or you look at the rams you know you think of all the money they're spending on defense but they're you know up until this year when uh uh what's his name got paid the running back Girly, yeah. You know, uh, prior to this year, your two traditionally most expensive positions, running back and quarterback, were making a combined like eight million dollars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, it gives you really a lot nice. of flexibility <laughs> to go out and get a bunch of pro bowlers. Yeah. Um, Speaking of paying guys, watching the Cowboys fall apart against the first somewhat average team they faced, even without Drew Brees. You have to ask the question if they're actually contenders in the NFC or if this is the team that is just going to fall apart now that real football has started and we start getting into October. I hope so. Uh, I, I, I don't know for sure. I mean, they do have just a pretty steady stream of talent. I've never really been a huge Dak fan. He's very good. He's not in a – I don't know if, it, if he's elite or anything like that. I, I think – yeah, they're pretty reliant on the run, setting things up. You know, like kind of, kind of like the Vikings this year when you rely so much on that. If it doesn't happen, that's kind of the end of the story. Um, and I just, I, I cannot stand the America's Team moniker that they have. It just, it baffles me to no end. I don't know anyone who is like a casual football fan who's like, yeah, I don't mind the Cowboys. Or I like the Cowboys. And, you know, they're not my team, but I like them. It, it just baffles me to no end. Yeah, I think it's amazing how well Jerry Jones has been able to market that team and get them not only the primetime slots. I mean, because obviously they're on, it seems, every other week on a primetime game. But he also has them, like, for example, next week when the Packers play the Cowboys, it's a one of those 3 o'clock games. But they're one of two afternoon games because of all the bye weeks. And so if you look at the national coverage, 
about 80% of the nation's population is actually going to have the Cowboys Packers game on basically making them another national game. It's just amazing what Jerry's able to do. Why well, is, is it Jerry or is it this fascination that people think that they're a good team? Cause I would much rather watch some of these smaller market teams duke it out than watch the Cowboys play one of their, you know, the NFC East or any of their other big games. I mean, last night the game wasn't good. No, super enjoyable. No, um, you know, I would have rather watched the Vikings Bears game again. That was a great showing by the Bears. I hate to say it as a Vikings fan, and I was miserable watching that. But if I was a neutral and wanted to sit down and watch Sunday night football, I'd rather watch a defensive slugfest than just kind of a blah game. Yeah, I mean. You- you have to give them a little credit when they booked it at the beginning of the season, it was drew Brees and the saints against Dak Prescott and the Cowboys. It wasn't supposed to be Teddy Bridgewater and we'll try and milk it against Dak Prescott and the Cowboys. <laughs> I guess, but you know, it could be worse. It could be a Thursday night game where you get to see Tennessee play like Carolina and you just go, why? Who cares? Yeah. I, I think they, they actually just did the, um, annual Jags Titans Thursday night game a couple weeks ago. <laughs> Just get it done. Great. Um, speaking of the Jags, I wanted to talk a little bit about their comeback win over the Broncos. I know that there were probably other games that have more playoff implications, but I think it's a, a kind of fun what Gardner Minshew has been able to do since Nick Foles went down week one. Um, I know there's been – a lot of quarterbacks this season that have kind of gotten their feet wet a little bit, but there's something about him that not only NFL Twitter loves, but I also love the the retro eighties jackets and the porn star mustache. It just, he seems to be having a lot of fun with it. And it kind of reminds me of like a young Brett Favre. Obviously I wasn't around for that, but just throwing caution to the wind and having that underdog mentality. And I guess I was curious to hear if you think it's a real deal situation or if it's more of like a like a Lynn Sanity where he's going to be hot for a few weeks and then the NFL will figure him out. Um, you know, I didn't get to see the game yesterday because that was the Vikings-Bears slot, so I didn't, I didn't get to watch much of it. I guess from just what I do know, it's cool that he's having fun. I, I, I haven't heard anything negative. You know, Baker Mayfield springs to mind. When you say of young people having fun in the NFL, I think of like a Baker or an Odell, and I just roll my eyes where I go, get over yourself. Um, yeah. he, look, he looks like he's just genuinely having fun and, you know, doing it in the right way without sounding like, an, you know, my grandpa. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, but I guess on the flip side, he's what? two and one in starts, but not really wins to write home about. I mean, it's the NFL. It's, you can only, they're wins and that's what matters. It doesn't matter if you, you play horror right. all year, if you go 10 and six. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I know you have more to say on this though. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's tough because you look at the Broncos and yeah, they're zero and four, they haven't won anything, but there's certainly a, a better team than what their record would indicate. And then he also led them to a win over the Titans, who the Titans, for better or for worse, 
are a solid eight and eight type of team in the NFL. And he only lost to the Texans by one point in his first NFL start. I mean, he's not rolling up on the Dolphins and the Jets. I mean, these are teams that had playoff hopes, at least at the beginning of the season. Um, And so to me, and it's, you know, and the way he's winning, he's not running for 130 yards and it's a lot of gadget type plays. It's, it's a lot of just standard drop back and find the open man type of stuff where I think it might be sustainable. And I'm curious to see how he does, you know, he's got the, Panthers next week and then the Jag or the Saints in the following. So I'm just I don't know. I'll keep a close eye on it. We'll see if he ends up being the real deal. But for now, I guess just have fun watching what he is that he's doing out there. So Yeah, I mean I guess my biggest takeaway is he plays for the Jags. So there's been a couple of very troubled franchises in the NFL over I would say our you know more recent consciousness of watching football a little more closely than when we were kids. And I think you'd be hard pressed to not include the Jags near the top of that list of, you know, even years where they're good are very one off and usually because they're in that horrible division. Yeah. Yeah, It's all got to be taken with a grain of salt, but I think there's definitely a lot of hope in Jacksonville, especially after they watched their free agent acquisition quarterback go down week one. So, All right. Well, thanks for coming on today. Um, Really appreciated having a little different perspective on some of the NFL games that I wasn't able to catch as closely. So thanks for joining me. Yeah, happy to be here. All right. So big thanks to Patrick for joining me there uh, to break down the NFL news. I wanted to touch a little bit on some other Wisconsin sports news. The number eight ranked Wisconsin Badgers got a big conference win 24 to 15 over Northwestern. And really the game wasn't even that close. I would say the Badgers were pretty much in control the entire way. The defense of the Badgers was pretty suffocating against Northwestern. Um, The game was actually in hand so much that I took a nap for most of the fourth quarter which is ironic considering that's usually the most pressure-packed portion of a football game. Um, I have a little bit of a hot take for that, actually. With the recent blowouts here in college football, I'm going to argue that Saturday afternoon naps to college football might be on my Mount Rushmore of best sports to take a nap to. Um, Just a little bit of a hot take that I want to throw out there. And then I also pretty excited about this Wisconsin Badger defense. I would love to see as many Badgers make the Packers defense, at least practice squad, um, in future years as possible. Jim Leonard is doing a great job of coaching them boys up and getting them really fundamentally sound and ready for the NFL. And I think that there's a number of players on that defense that could really make a difference for the Packers in future years. Then I also want to mention the Brewers making the NL playoffs. Um, The game that they are slated for is at the Washington Nationals at 8 o'clock on Tuesday night. As a reminder to everyone to make sure you wear your Brewer gear um, in what is a winner-go-home game on Tuesday. Make sure you get one less use out of that Brewer gear. The Brewers open the game as um, one-and-a-half-point dogs. And I might argue that that might be the easiest bet of the week to make. I would definitely think that 
the Brewers are going to be able to cover that at least. Uh, they're going to throw all the bullpen that they can at the Nationals, and it's certainly going to be a low-scoring affair. So, you know, call your bookie. Make sure you get that bet placed because that's a very tempting line. And I also want to just mention the run that the Brewers went on in September after losing Christian Yelich. I know that baseball is a little bit different than some other sports, but you lose a guy with that type of impact, and they go on a really miraculous run that wasn't even spurred by an offensive explosion, but rather a pitching staff that had been pretty decimated all year. Might be the quietest miracle run in Wisconsin sports history. Definitely deserves to get a lot more press than what it did, even though it fell short of getting the NL Central. Um, Just wanted to kind of get my take out there as we get ready for Tuesday night. Just wanted to get in my last segment here today. Nate was unable to join me for the finishing of today's episode, so I just wanted to get a couple of hot takes out there that I had brewing over the weekend. I really think, to start with, that college football is in major trouble. The parity that the NFL has where, aside from maybe the Dolphins and the Jets, just about every game could basically come down to a coin flip. It does not exist in college football, and instead there's not only are there distinct tiers of competitiveness, but I think there's also just a a very quick um, quitting mentality in a lot of teams where even, you know, matchups that should be close really get out of hand early. And I think this is something that the NCAA really needs to take a look at and figure out how they can get the, um, the interest level back up in college football. Because now with where we're at with the college football playoff and whatnot, most of the intrigue happens outside of the games. You know, how do we rank Clemson's one point win over UNC or you know, what did they out did Alabama do enough to get the number one ranking? And all the intrigue revolves around just a few teams and it's taking a lot of the regional support out of teams. And so I think there needs to be a major restructuring done by the NCAA to really reconstitute that competitive nature in college football. And then I also want to give a little fantasy football take here and talk about the the shift that happens in the NFL. Um, We're four weeks through the NFL season after tonight's game. And the first four weeks of the season are weird for a number of different reasons. The first is that with the preseason being basically non-existent for many starters in the NFL, September football exists to get that conditioning in and to find out exactly what the identity of a team is. And that goes for your fantasy team too. The players that, you know, like John Ross for the Cincinnati Bengals and people like that who may have had a really good two to three week stretch for you and gotten you out to a start, you might want to take a closer look at players like that and ask yourselves, is this something that I anticipate being sustainable or is it going to go by the wayside now that teams are starting to get their rhythm? I also think the um, importance of the first four weeks of the season is that a lot of these suspensions and holdouts and whatnot are really starting to come to an end. You know, you've got Golden Tate coming off of suspension and Melvin Gordon coming back, which really hampers Austin Eckler's value. A lot of things like that happen now. Um, there's injuries that have cropped up that I just think everybody should take a really close look at their team and reevaluate 
if that's something that you want to have moving forward. And then finally, the, uh, the brown paper bag test that uh, Nate and I usually do here on the Time Filler Podcast. You know, the end of September, beginning of October football is when a lot of those brown paper bags come off. You know, you got the 49ers at 3-0. and Is that a real deal or is that going to turn into something more like a 500 team once they start playing actual ball games? The Patriots even, you know, they get their AFC East opponent fodder to start off the season. Are they as good as people think or is that something that's going to fall apart now at Tom Brady's age? Just things to keep in mind here as we move forward in the NFL season. So that's it for me. Um, thanks to Patrick for joining me today and thank you for listening.